All right. Isaiah 9, 2. We're going to read a little bit of Old Testament prophecy here. And then we're going to talk about end times for the next six weeks. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just ki- I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, all right. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with the joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle of tumult. Every garment rolled in blood will be burned for fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and of the peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to be established, and it will be upheld with justice and righteousness from time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. So it's, uh, we're going to talk about the rolled garment in blood. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. What I love about Bible prophecy is this, is you can look through Bible prophecy and there's multiple spots in the, in the Bible where it will be confirmed. This is a um, prophetic word about Jesus. Isaiah is talking about what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus is, is um, being sent for. And then Jesus confirms it in Matthew. He said, and it says this, Matthew 4 says, Now that John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, will see a great light. And those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And it says in this, this part right here, it says, from, the, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So everybody thinks that Jesus was, um, a lot of people believe that Jesus, you know, called his disciples and then he started preaching. But if, it, if you look at what John says, he started to, he, what did he say? He started preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because what happened was is this, his disciples had to hear that. They needed to understand what was happening in the kingdom. He didn't just call them and then say, okay, here, by the way, this is what's going on. He was calling people to him. Everybody thinks, oh, Jesus had 12 disciples. Well, if you look at scripture, that's actually not true. He had 12, but there was many disciples that followed him. And it talks about in scripture that many disciples left when he told them, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uneasy. It's going to be violent. It's going to be um, hard for you to follow me. And it says many of his disciples left. But in the beginning, it says Jesus started saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John eight twelve says this. Yeah, I'll just read it here. Jesus says again to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we have Jesus who is preaching and talking about himself. You know, if you, if you do that today, you get, you know, you don't get uh, a whole lot of... Uh, followers but Jesus was talking about himself he was talking about what the father was doing in him and through him for the world 
That's why the Pharisees thought he was crazy. That's why they thought he was, you know, another false prophet. It says this in verse um, John 8, 13 says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And then Jesus answered, Even if I do not bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I do not judge alone, but I and the Father who sent me in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the only one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered them, You, either, you neither know, him, know my father, excuse me, you neither know me nor my father. Even if you knew me, you wouldn't know my father also. Those words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his time had not yet come. So Jesus is talking to these, these, these men who think they know everything. They're, they're Sadducees and Pharisees. They, they've been raised in Scripture. They've been taught in Scripture. And he's bearing witness about himself because the Father bears witness about him. He's talking about what the Father has sent him to do. Um, I can understand how they would think it was weird. W Jesus came in into a broken system and flipped it on, on, its, on its head. He came in talking about himself as he was God. If someone came to work one tomorrow morning, comes up to your desk, leans on your desk, and goes, you know, I'm here to blah, 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 and you're like, what in the world are you? So we have to understand these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these people were not bad people per se. They were just being, their worlds were being rocked. They had no clue what was happening. They, they, they knew the Son of God was coming, but they could not see that the Son of God had come. And I think when Jesus comes into the scene, you've got John the Baptist, some weird dude dressed in you know, fur and eating bugs out in the wilderness, and he, he's saying, repent, and the, you know, he's baptizing people, and that's new to them too. So they're seeing all this weird weirdness going on. You've got two guys who are, are preaching things that they had never heard, never seen. They're talking about Scripture. They're, they're talking to the people about what prophecy is, what um, is going to happen, but you have a system that has been in place for hundreds of years, and these men don't know what to do with Jesus. And I can understand that. Have you ever had somebody, and you're like, I don't even know what to do with you? And, you know, they looked at him and they're like, why are you the way you are, Jesus? And these men who loved God but got so caught up in the rules didn't know how to, to recognize Jesus when he walked into the room and started preaching. They did not know how to recognize him when he started about talking about the kingdom of God and who he was and how his father had sent him. There was very few people who recognized him especially in the religious leaders of that day. Nicodemus, if you look in the scripture, Nicodemus recognized him. He, he's like, I need to talk to you. So he went in at night and talked to him. He said, and Jesus is like, hey, this is what you got to do. You got to be born again. He's like, what? Wait, I got to come back out of the womb of my mother, go back in and then come back out. He's like, I don't, I don't understand that. So you understand the, the, the blinders that these religious leaders had on their eyes at that time. They didn't understand what was happening because God was bringing something new to his people he was bringing the new covenant before the new covenant was he was preparing the new covenant to come into place 
Have you ever had something at work and all of a sudden they just come to you one day and say, hey, by the way, this all changed overnight and Mercy's over there going, I can't do change. We, we love to mess with Mercy. We'll just like change something up real quick just to mess with her every now and then just to, to see how quick she can adapt to things. And um, um, she's gotten a lot better. She used to be like, <gasps> she used to have her, her moments. But, but think about this. God is bringing something new to people who had known nothing but this for a thousand years, basically. They had known nothing but the high priest leads us in, in worship, leads, takes the sacrifices, gives them to Do you understand where these guys are thinking that Jesus is crazy? They think he's off his rocker. They, he's like, oh, by the way, you know, I'm going to destroy this temple and I'm going to rebuild it. And like, wait a minute. This took years and years to build. And you're, gonna, you're saying in three days you're going to rebuild this temple. They're like, he's drinking too much sour wine. <laughs> but Jesus came in and he, he had proof of who he was. He didn't come in and just say, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. I don't have to give you any proof. You just have to follow me. Jesus was giving them little clues about who he was from the moment he stepped foot on the scene. You look at Matthew. Matthew, he, he quotes back to Isaiah, and he says, this is who I am. This is where I'm coming from. This is who I've been sent from. He says, the people in darkness will see a great light. And then later on, he goes, oh, by the way, I'm the light of the world. He's setting them up for like, oh, wait a minute. He said, the people have seen a great light. Very few people understood what he was saying. So they're saying, wait a minute, you're quoting Isaiah. And then later on, he just said, you're the light of the world. So they're, they're looking at him going, why is he doing the things that he does? Why is he saying the things that he's saying? because they didn't understand who he was. They didn't understand the heart of the Father. They didn't understand Scripture enough. Even the religious leaders didn't understand Scripture enough to recognize who Jesus was. And I think sometimes in our lives we're that way. We have the blinders on that we, we have no clue when God is moving sometimes. When he is trying to do something in our lives, we become like those religious leaders and we're so blind to it that we don't recognize a new move of God in our lives. Something that he's changed and he's trying to get us to do something new. We're like, well, I can't do it that way because I've always done it this way, Jesus. And you, you, I do it this way. And you, you, why are you telling me to do it a different way? I remember as a, a kid, I, I remember talking to this one guy and um, I don't remember exactly the whole conversation, but he was talking about um, hearing from God and, and wanting to hear from God. And someone told him, Okay, if you want to hear from God, you know, maybe just spend a day alone. Go out, be alone. Don't, you know, and someone said, don't read your Bible that day. Go out and just pray. Don't read my Bible that day. He's like, oh no, I can't do that. Okay, I'm not telling you don't read your Bible. Just getting that off uh, there. Read your Bible. But what he was saying is go alone and pray. Be alone and pray and, talk, and, and, and have that conversation with God there. But he couldn't get outside of that, I, that chain of things. I always read my Bible and then I pray. So I think, I'm, I'm not telling you don't read your Bible, so I'm just going to say that again, read your Bible. But what I'm saying is sometimes God says, I want you to pray and worship, and then you can read your word. 
I think there's times where we, God is work, trying to move in us and recognize it, and we don't recognize it because he's like, I was, you were this close in your prayer through breakthrough. You were this close in your, your, your time of worship to your healing. But we, have, we, we, we try to be so rigid with our relationship with him. But if you look at his relationship with us, it's not rigid. But we become, we're very um, cut and dry people. We want this many times, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've talked to pastors and like, we have 23 minutes of worship. Exactly. It can't go over because then, you know, I'm like, okay. So you have 23 minutes for worship and you have 35 minutes for, for, um, for the, the word. And then you have five minutes for announcements. Where is there time for the Holy Spirit to show up? And I think we are that way in our hearts sometimes too, is we're waiting for God to show up, but we do our, our 10 minutes of Bible reading and God's like, you, had, you were two minutes in, in your prayer away from breakthrough. You were five minutes of, of worship away from the healing that you were, at, you were believing for. And I think it comes down to us being flexible enough and moldable enough to understand when the Holy Spirit is prompting us to go less or go farther into what he wants us to do. Uh, reading our Bible is, is an amazing thing because that's where we look and we see the words of God and we can he- see what he's saying to us. But there's times where we have to step back and say, okay, you ever read your Bible? I've read my Bible multiple times. I try reading it on my lunch break and I'm just like, I'm not getting anything out of it. So what I do is I just put it away and sometimes I just pray because I can't get... I can't gather what's happening on these, words, on these words right now, and I'm not able to process them because I'm thinking about work and I'm thinking about other things. And there's times where I just have to step back and I just like, okay, I lean my seat back, I close my eyes, and I'm just like, okay, God, what do you want me to know? And it's funny how when, by putting something away like this for five minutes and I can hear what God is saying to me because I'm not focused on, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this. We get all ADD and and you know, we're scattered everywhere and life is that way sometimes. We're so scattered that sometimes we have to just step away and just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on you, God. I'm going to hear what you have to say. Because when we start to, well, I have to do this. Yes, you don't have to do this. This is a gift to us. But if you want to know more about him, this is, is, is a requirement. Not making it religious, not making it you know, oh, you have to read your Bible to be, a, to, to be a Christian. You know, there's a lot of Christians in China that have no Bible. They get one little scripture and that's all they have, but they're still Christians. They still follow God. I'm saying is sometimes just stepping away from whether it's reading your word, whether it's prayer, whether it's worship, one of those, just stepping back and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But we instantly go to our three default channels of, I got to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then, okay, God, show up and help me now. And what do we do? We make it a religious process for us to be able to say, God, this is what, how you, I need you to, uh, what I have to do in order for you to work. And we, and we do that as human beings because we fall back on what we know. We fall back on what has been ingrained in us for generations. And I'm not saying that what that what is happening is wrong, but I'm saying that there's God is, is leading every one of us. We all hear from God differently. Some of us hear from God in, in quiet times. Some of us hear from God in our prayer. Sometimes you guys might hear from God while you're worshiping. But our job is to tune into those and know where God is speaking to us and when he speaks to us. 
the best way to hear from him. And learn that and learn how to channel that better and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this. I know I'm hearing from God when I, when I have prayer time, or I know I hear it from God when I'm singing and praising, or I know I hear better from God when I'm reading his word. So what we need to do is we need to look at that and say, how do I hear from God? And how do I get myself in that posture and in that way of hearing from God in a greater way? Don't be in such a routine that I, I have to do five minutes of this, five minutes of that, five minutes of that. And God, why didn't you show up during my time? And God's like, I'm just waiting for you to, to not do the same old thing every time and, and look for something new from me. If God is the, the, I talked about last time, I said Jesus was there in the beginning. He, nothing that was made was not made, that was made without him. He made everything. He was a focused part of, of creation. So if God is, is still in the, the form of creating He's going to, he's going to be, God is a creative God. He's going to find other ways to talk to us, other ways to communicate to us. But we want our certain way of, this is my rigid time with God, and God, you have to move in that. We're putting our expectations on God to do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, and in our convenience It's Bible reading plus prayer plus quiet time equals God is going to move in my life. There is no formula for that. There is no calculated way of hearing of God to move in our lives. But the Pharisees wanted that. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day, thought this is how it has to be. Jesus came in and broke that mold of, of hearing from God and seeing signs and miracles, because what happened was is this, is if you needed something taken care of, if you needed a miracle in the old covenant, you brought it to the high priest, they would offer a sacrifice for you, pray for you, whatever they needed to do, and then you would go away, and if it happened, it happened, and then it was good. And if it didn't happen, then you still had sin in your life. That was the, the whole mindset. But if you look at, at Jesus, what did Jesus do? He said, be healed and go and sin no more. He didn't say, oh, you have to stop sinning in order for your healing to come. You know how many times I've heard people tell me, oh yeah, I was told that um, my child was sick because of the sin in my life. It, it's disgusting things like that that go counter, counter to what Scripture says. Jesus found people in the streets who, who were sinners, lepers, you know, cripples, and what did he say? He said, be healed and go and sin no more. He didn't say, oh, by the way, you need to repent now. Ask for forgiveness for your sins, and then I will heal you. Jesus was, was counter to what they, were, what they were doing. And we look at, at our lives, and sometimes we get into that religious mindset. Oh, Jesus, did I not repent enough to get my healing today? Did I not pray enough to get, get my promises from you? And I think sometimes our, our religious mindset can come in, even in a new covenant, and say, okay, I have to do it this way in order to receive from Jesus. But Jesus didn't put any rules or, or, or regulations on his healings and on his, his miracles that he performed, if you look at them. They were all momentary times where he wasn't like, oh, 
He didn't come up and say to the woman with the issue of blood, oh, kneel before me, repent of your sins, and I shall heal thee. No, what was it? Her faith made her well. So our mindset has to start to change about how we relate to God and how we want to see him work in our lives. I do it all the time. I don't even, and I don't even realize it sometimes. I'll be sitting there doing something. I'm like, why is this not happening, God? And, I'm, and then he, he just gives me a little, he's like, hey, try thinking outside of the box. Quit putting me in a, 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 a constrictive box of how we want God to operate. You know, it's like we have 23 minutes of, of worship. And some people tell me 23 minutes of worship. So you put God in this box. And when, he, when you're done with this box, then you put him in another box and you have 35 minutes of him um, in his word telling you what to do. And then you tell him to go away and then you do the rest of it. And I'm like, there has to be a time for us to say, okay, God, I'm going to remove you from the limitations that I'm trying to place on you. I think sometimes our, our, our unbelief, our lack of faith, our desire to control life put a damper on what God is trying to do. Does that make sense? You ever done that? You, you, you know, God, you have to move this way and I need it to be done this way. And God's like, that's not how I work. God doesn't work on how we tell him to work. You know, he was bearing witness to what the father had to- told him to do, what the father was doing. And the dis- uh, disciples kind of got it. You know, they're kind of like, yeah, we, we co- totally get this Jesus. And then when they're done, they're like, hey, what did you mean by that? I don't really understand what you were saying with that, you know. Jesus is telling parables. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Jesus said that. And then they're like, hey, I'm on the way back from the meeting. So like, so what did you mean by that, Jesus? Explain that a little bit more because we have no clue. You ever read a parable? I've read a couple of parables. I'm like, that really don't make sense. And I'm like, I scroll down farther. I'm like, thanks for explaining that, Jesus. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. But I think in our minds, we have this, this limitation of how we want God to move. The disciples had that. They were trying to set up a hierarchy of I'm the best disciple and this disciple's this way and I'm this way. And Jesus is like, you're my disciples. Quit trying to make me move. Like they're like, call down thunder and lightning and destroy these people because they said something bad, Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, that's not how I work. So in our hearts, we have to say, okay, God, how are you going to move? How am I going to take my limitations off God? Our limitations on God and our expectations on God can sometimes pull us out of what he has for us. The movement, how quickly we receive from God. The answers in prayer that we're looking for, I think sometimes are hindered by our expectation of how he should do things. Does that make sense? And I think we put unrealistic expectations on people how unrealistic are our expectations on God sometimes to do how and what we want when we want it? Like he's a vending machine. Okay, I want B2. <laughs> Boom. Okay, I got it. No, it's, it doesn't work that way. And so taking the blinders off like the, the Pharisees, a couple Pharisees did, you, you look at a few of the religious leaders, they saw him for who he was. They didn't they took the blinders off and saw for who he really was and not what they were expecting of God. And I think when we do that, when we take, the, that our, t- 
take God outside of our, our box of rules and regulations, we'll see him for who he is and how he operates. Not, oh, well, God didn't answer my prayer and I've been praying for 10 minutes a day for the last 40 days. God's like, I just wanted you to shut up so I could talk to you. <laughs> God ever, has anybody ever had God tell them just to shut up and listen? It hasn't been audible, which I'm glad it wasn't an audible voice of God telling me to shut up and listen, but there's been times where, well, there's been a couple times that my wife has, has said something to me, and I'm pretty sure that was God speaking through her, but, um, but God just like, be still and know that I am God. Be still and, and stop expecting how you want it to be. Quit scripting how God is going to respond to you. So, John 8, verses 31. So, Jesus has is, is called his disciples. He called them out. He, you know, he, he called specific people. And I don't remember who, I was talking to somebody about this the last couple of weeks. I said, Jesus called out people who were very une, unexpected. He didn't, he didn't go to the religious schools and waiting for people who wanted to become a, a disciple of the high priest and say, oh, hey, you're, you're semi-educated, you can read, come work with me. He called unexpected people from unexpected places and unexpected positions in life. He called fishermen, he called tax collectors. Think about this. Jesus is, in, is walking around, and just put this in modern times. Jesus is walking around, and he's like calling disciples, he's calling factory workers, he's calling dairy farmers he's calling you know mechanics and then he goes and goes hey irs agent come here follow me <laughs> we'd be like jesus are you crazy um <laughs> but think about this jesus was calling fishermen and and you know other people like that but he's he's called us he's called mechanics he's called farmers he's called the average person to follow him and, we, and when the disciples were so unlikely of a pick that I think the religious leaders that even more emphasized how crazy the religious leaders thought he was, that he was taking tax collectors and he was taking men who were unsavory to the local population. Think about this. Matthew was a Jew working for the Romans by taxing his own people. And I'm pretty sure he was not liked. And I'm pretty sure he was cutting off the top for taxes because tax collectors were never really poor. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, follow me. Think about this. He gave up a life of luxury. He gave up a life of wealth to follow Jesus. And so when we look at Jesus, we look at who he is, we have to say, okay, am I so focused on who I am and what I, what I am and what my past has been that it's hindering me from following Jesus? Look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus believed who Jesus was. He sat and he talked to Jesus, but I'm pretty sure he could not give up what he had. He followed Jesus, and it talks about in Scripture later on that after Jesus died, or when Jesus was being tried, Nicodemus 
tried to stand up for him in, in some form or fashion. But he couldn't. Look at the rich young ruler. He had an idea of what it was going to be like to serve God. He wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus said, give all your money to the poor and follow me. And because he had so much money and he was, and that ruler, and that, that term ruler most likely meant someone who was in uh, fa uh, Pharisees or Sadducees. He was a religious ruler, religious leader. And he had such position and such wealth that he could not give it up to follow him. And I think when we put that mind on, or we put our minds on following Jesus or what is around us, sometimes we can try to coax Jesus into allowing us to keep what we want and what he wants. Well, you know, Jesus, if I do this, then I can do this. You know, if I, I can just see the religious leader saying to Jesus, well, you know, if I keep all my money, we can feed more poor people. We can do, we can do more. We can buy a jet for you, Jesus. You know, we can, we can get you going from place to place. We'll buy a nice cart and two donkeys and we'll haul you place to place. And that was the, you know, jet back then. So, um, but Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Mm -hmm. Jesus was asking people to abide in his word, to abide in him. They were truly his disciples. But the people, we, we took, they were trying to take everything with them to abide in what they had and then follow Jesus. So Jesus says to them, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They had no clue what it meant to be free. They lived, lived under an old religious system of checking the boxes, coming into the tavern or temple, giving your offering giving it to the high priest, the priest sacrifices it and gives it. And then they're like, okay, I'm good for the year. But what Jesus was saying, you abide in me, that means you have a relationship with me. You're coming into something with me. You're going to live with me and not just meet me once a year. He's asking them to, to have that relationship with him, to, to live in his world, to live in his heart, in his mind, in his, um, in his way of doing things. Abide means to stay within. It doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm just going to come visit you every now and then. Abide means to be with, means to stay in. And then Jesus says to them, he goes, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So that if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what you have seen in my father, and you do not, excuse me, and you do what you have heard from your father. He just said that there's two fathers and that their father is not his father. And I'm not going to go into that today because he basically calls them the, son, the sons of the devil. Um, which, please don't call people that on a daily basis, and I think Jesus is probably the only one that should be allowed to say that. Um, but he says, if, 
He says, the servant doesn't remain in the house, the son does. And then he says this, it says the lowercase son remains forever. He says, so if the son, uppercase son, sets you free, you will be free indeed. But they didn't get that. They weren't reading it, they were hearing that. They couldn't understand what he was saying. He says, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. They're thinking, well, what son stays in the house and what servant, they're not understanding that he is the son of God. And I think sometimes we place Jesus in the lowercase s instead of the uppercase s. He's the son of God, but he is the capital S son of God who says, I will set you free. And if I set you free, you will be free indeed. So later on in John 14, he reconfirms what he said. And he says, John 4, 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not multiple ways, not, you know, whatever way makes you feel happy at this time or whatever weird God coexists bumper sticker you want to serve by. Um, he's saying, I am the way. Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the only way. But he says, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. So I think as, as Christians, we have, to, we have to, to go to God and say, okay, you sent your son for me. You sent your son to, to take sin for us, to take all punishment for us. And I understand that, but do we live that? I think sometimes we, we become so um, quick to, to walk into the, the routine of walking with God and being with God that we forget that the Son has set us free and that we are free indeed. I think a lot of times we put ourselves back under a, a yoke of slavery or a yoke of the old covenant of rules and regulations, and God is saying, I have given you freedom to walk in freedom, to have a relationship with my son, walk in it. You ever done, done something, and you're like, oh, I don't know, he's got to be mad at me about that. We, uh, there's still something in our culture that says God is mad at us. If we are his sons and daughters, I don't think that he is mad at us. No, we, we have so much in our, in our culture that says the judgment of God is coming on us. And it's like, the judgment of God is not coming on his sons and daughters. Judgment does not come for his sons and daughters. It comes for the world, not his sons and daughters. We may be in the world, but we're not of the world. Just because we're here doesn't make us part of this. And I think sometimes we ourselves will do something, man, is God okay with that? Is God okay with me because I did that? And sometimes we place ourselves over doing stupid little things and we're like, oh, is God mad at me? I don't think God's mad at you. I think God's saying, hey, repent because there's a better way. But we sometimes put ourselves back into the place of God being angry. And I think what happens is, is it, it, we need to take every thought captive because I think the, the enemy tries to place that, that thought in our head that God is still mad at you. You did this. I can't believe you did this. God is mad at you for this. And we have to take that thought cap and say, no, God is not an angry God. No, we don't want to see his wrath that will be poured out in the end. 
But as sons and daughters, we have to look and say, God is not angry with us. He is pleased with us. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we all make mistakes. Do we all fall short of the glory of God? Yes, every day we do that. It is called being a human being in a fallen world. But it is, for the, it is by the grace of God that we have redemption through Him that makes us have right standing with Him. So I think as we, as we go into our lives this week, say, okay, God, where am I placing you in a, a constraint of what I want for you? What, am I, what, am I, what characteristics am I placing on you, God? Oh, he God is still mad at me. Mm, I don't think so. If God was mad at us, would he have sent his son for us? I don't think a loving God can be sent his son, give us the, the gift of his son, and still be mad at us after we've received the gift of his son. Can he be angry with the decisions we've made, the things we've said? Yes. But I think God is looking at us going, like every parent does, and say, I want the best for you. I want, repent, because that's the best way to deal with it. But I think God is saying, take me out of your constraints of what you think I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, the box that you say, that how my characteristics are. We have to look at his word to see his characteristics and not go, okay, I'm going to listen to what everybody else is saying. Because you can turn on the radio, turn on the TV, and you'll find somebody that's screaming and hollering about how God is, is angry with you and he wants to bring fire and damnation onto to people. But you can also hear people that are so apathetic about who God is that they don't actually tell you his true character. But we have to look in his word and find his true character because in his word we will see who he is and how much he loves us. But he calls us to repentance, he calls us to change, and he calls us to a new life. He doesn't call us, say, okay, by the way, you're born again, keep continuing what you're doing. How is it? I think he says, hey, how is that old life working out for you? And we're like, well, I came to you because it wasn't working out. He's like, exactly, so let's try something different. So I think taking God out of the, the mindset out of our, our boxes that we place him in and saying, God, how, show me who you are in a, great, in, a, in a new way. Show me your characteristics. Show me how you move outside of what I want it to be. Outside of how I think you should operate. Because he says, I will set you free. When the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. And I think he, it's a mindset too that we can allow God to free us from. Because we, we can understand that relationship with God when we ask Him to come into our lives and, wa and wash us clean. We can have that, but I think we can take some of the old mindsets into our relationship with Him. And I think we need to say, God, can you remove those from us? Can you remove those mindsets from me? Can you remove that religious mindset that I had of who you were? Can you remove that Pharisee mindset of how you should talk and how you should and how you shouldn't show up god remove that pharisee mindset from me and i think when we do that god will set us free he will give us a new revelation of who he is because you ever, if you've ever read the word once and not got something out of it and then you go back again and get something out of the same scripture that is god's revelation for us and to us he hides those things so we can find them and i think when we ask god just take out, out the, the compartmentalizing I do with you. Uh, take the boxes. Take the, the, the ways that I've thought you should be. I think God will reveal himself in a new way to us. 
and he'll show us how good and how kind and how loving he is, that he is a good father, and that he sent his son, not because he's angry, because he loves us and doesn't want to spend eternity away from us. Let's pray.